Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program that you hold so dear. It's episode 49 of the project. It's about dang time. Gotta be comforting to know that you'll never go to sleep alone one night again. Hopsy baby boy is always there for you, night and day. I don't know where the song is going, I just picked up my guitar and now I'm singing in the microphone. Let's get to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, that little number there was actually off Rodney Ruckin's upcoming album, Give the Dog a Bone. This is 1110 AM Country Music with your host, the most, Hopsy. Go giggity baby boy. Episode number 49, folks. Almost at that 50 mark. That huge milestone, the half century mark, if you will. But what does number 49 mean? You know that um, if you were a regular listener to this show, I am a man of the numbers. And I follow them because they don't lie. But uh, number 49, what does it mean in terms of the NHL? Perhaps it means Brian Savage. Brian, the Savage. Not the Savage, that was his God-given name, Brian Savage. He was an eighth-round pick by the Canadians in the 1991 NHL entry draft. Savage became a solid NHL regular, scoring 192 goals and reaching the 20-goal mark four times during a 12-year career. He also won a silver medal with Canada in the 1994 Olympics. I believe that was the last one before NHL players joined the mix. I believe 98 in Nagano was the first time NHL players made their way to the Olympics when I don't know what happened. I was too young to remember, but it was something about a shootout with Slovakia, I believe it was, and they went into a shootout, and they didn't even pit. They didn't even put Wayne Gretzky, the great one, into the shootout. Many think that could have led to their demise. But if Brian Savage is playing for the 1994 team, Canada, um, that would have meant that he played half the season professionally, and then he took off in that amateur team. I don't know what they used to do. I'll look into it one day. But if you ever look it up online on like Elite Prospects, uh, Hockey DB, these guys were putting in like 50, 60 game seasons with the national team in the years that they were competing in the Olympics, so forth, so what not. So kind of crazy. But what's also really crazy and something to think about, Brian Savage, 192 goals over a 12-year NHL career. He had 674 games played, 167 assists for 359 points. 321 penalties in minutes. Um, but 674 games played. I looked up his elite prospects. And if you look down the line, like this guy just looked like a stud. You look at, um, I mean, yeah, um, 20, like four 20 goal seasons is nothing to slow chat, no doubt. But he had, a, I looked it up. I think he had three or four seasons where he was at like 16 goals, 17 goals, 18 goals. And when you look that up on a stat line, you know, you're not thinking, oh my God, this guy's tearing the league apart but this guy's a good contributing player offensively year in and year out and then when you look and see that uh, he only has 192 goals over a 12-year career 674 games played kind of makes you realize what some of these young studs are doing in the NHL right now like Dreisaitl already hit his 200th goal 
Matthews hit his. I don't know. I'm sure uh, McDavid, I can't remember if he's there or not. Probably should have looked it up. But a uh, little bit of appreciation there. That's a lot of goals these guys, these young guys are scoring. And there's some good players if you look it up. It's been fun to like hear about how ever since I've been hearing about all these young studs putting up like, you know, 200 goals already, I've really started diving into the record books. And you look back at like these players that are historic goal scorers and like these guys are already climbing up the ranks fast. And like, I mean, there's a lot of drama about Ovechkin. Is he going to pass uh, Gretzky's all-time scoring list? Yeah, he probably will. And uh, that's pretty exciting to be uh, something that's going to happen in my lifetime, getting to see Ovechkin's career since I was in fifth grade. That's pretty fucking cool. Okay. Got to get to all the, I'd like to do this thing. You know, we get to all the four major sports. I don't know why I like it. I like that history. It makes me feel a little bit alive inside. Can you hear me now? Come on. Um, in the NFL, they say the best number 49 ever was a fellow by the name of Dennis Smith. He was a safety with the Broncos. And I absolutely stole this quote from, uh, I think it was the Bleacher Report. But it says, pure safeties always have had a difficult time getting to the hall. So Smith has remained an afterthought despite 14 impressive seasons and six Pro Bowl nods with Denver. Hall of Fame receiver Bobby Mitchell also wore number 49. But just three, just, but for, for just three of his seasons occurred, but just three of his seasons occurred during the Super Bowl era. Mitchell was as most electrifying from 62 to 63. Why are we talking about Bobby Mitchell, Bleacher Report? Shut your mouth. Cool. Good for you, Dennis Smith. I'm proud of you. Um, number 49. Um, probably not going to be a big number ever worn, but the most notable one ever was Shandon Anderson, as they say. I believe the Bleacher Report gave me this blurb as well. It says, only two players have ever worn jersey number 49 in NBA history. I find that fascinating. But I also got to remember, a lot more people on like a roster, like a hockey team, like a football team, even a baseball team, a lot more numbers getting used. Not a lot of number usage with, I don't even know how many guys they keep on their actual roster, but significantly less than, um, you know, these other major sports. But uh, the only player to ever wear it for more than one season was Shandon Anderson. He did not start off his career wearing number 49. In his first five seasons, he actually wore the number 40, if you can believe it. <laughs> it was the last five seasons playing for the Knicks and the Miami Heat that he wore number 49. His best seasons came in 2002 and 2003 when he averaged 8.4 points, 3.1 rebounds, 1.1 assists, 0.9 steals, and a 46.2% shoot, shooting percentage. God, I almost had it. 37% shooting from the three, from three and 73.2% shooting from the free throw line. Good for you, Shandon, you dirty old dog. And um, in terms of baseball, just read about this guy in a book, an autobiography I read of Mel Stottlemyre. You should check it out. Baseball books are absolutely mint. If you're not reading them already, even if you don't like the sport, I guarantee you, you will just like the, the camaraderie, the talk about the dressing rooms, the lifestyle. It's all good shit. But I was reading about this guy, Ron Goodry. I'm saying his name probably wrong. Goodry, G-U-I-D-R-Y. Probably should know how to say it before I say it on the airwaves. Who gives a dang? He was the man known as the Louisiana Lightning. That's who tops the list. He spent his entire 14-year career with the New York Yankees. Ron Goodry put together a season for the ages in 1978, posting a 25-3 record and a 1.74 ERA, giving up just 6.1 hits every nine innings and striking out 248 batters. Goodry was the unanimous selection for the American League Cy Young Award that year and finished the year with a finished his career rather with a 170 and 91 record with a 3.29 ERA. Not bad for the kid in pinstripes. Got to imagine if you're a baseball player getting to play any amount of years, getting to play 14 of them with the Yankees. 
That would be sick, especially in the 90s. They call the Yankees the team of the century in the 1900s because they won 25 World Series. That's one every four years, people. Do the math. Talk about a franchise, Kenya. Why am I talking like that? Talking like I have an effect on my voice or maybe I'm just a fucking loser. You tell me. Um, I was looking up this stupid number bullshit. It's basically the only thing I... I kind of started doing this, I feel like, because it makes me feel like I'm putting research into my podcast. And then it's like, if I say, like, oh, I'm going to go ready, get ready for my podcast, I just go and look up some numbers, um, whoever, who was the best number of the episode. So that's been kind of my thing right now. It makes me feel a little journalistic. Can I get a hell yeah? You know what I'm saying? But when I was looking up all this numbo mumbo jumbo, um, I found this hilarious story. And you always hear about, you know, the number that you wear as an athlete professional athlete especially it, it means a lot especially with these guys they've worn you know numbers some of them worn numbers most of their lives they want to keep wearing those numbers so you always hear stories about like guys like you know making a deal paying a little bit of money to get the number that a guy's already wearing here forth here back whatever you want to call it but I just heard about this story and uh, literally right before I agreed to myself before I self-agreed to record this podcast, I just found this story. So um, I'm just going to read you a quick little blurb from an ESPN article. This is a pretty fucking awesome story, and um, you love to hear it. This is how crazy some guys get with their numbers. They're willing to um, not only get money involved, but in some cases, the law. Um, Redskins tailback Clinton Portis on Monday. This is a 2005 article from June 6th, so quite a while ago, but this is this is it. Redskins tailback Clinton Portis on Monday agreed to pay former Washington safety, I'm going to say his name wrong, Ifeani Olate, I-F-E-A-N-Y-I, Ifeani Olate. I even tried to look up like a YouTube video of this guy to see how it's pronounced. Nothing really there. So this might have been the only real story that I don't know anything about these guys. Not a big football guy. So if these guys are studs and I'm not giving them the respect they deserve, I'm sorry. This is just a hilarious story about how crazy some motherfuckers go to protect the number on their back. All right, here we go again from the top. Redskins tailback Clinton Portis on Monday agreed to pay former Washington safety Ifiani Olate 18000 of the 20000 that the latter claimed he was owed for giving him uniform number 26 to Portis a year ago. So this is June, maybe it was the 2004-2005 season. Whatever. The settlement brought the tab into case, not including attorney's fees, to $38,000. This is uh, the amount of money it costs to decide who's wearing a jersey number in the pros. I really wasn't looking for vindication. I was just wanting to get this thing over with, Olati told the Associate Press. I did my half, and I just wanted what was mine in return. He did his part. What he wanted in return was just a lump sum of money, $40,000 if you could believe it. It worked out better for me. I didn't want to miss practice, he said. According to the agreement between the players, Portis had agreed to pay Olate 40000 for the uniform number that had or, and, it had, and he had already shelled out 20000 The remaining 20000 was in question until Monday with the players scheduled for a Tuesday session in a Maryland courtroom. John Stern, the attorney for Olate, who is now at the... I gotta stop saying his name like that. I'm sure that's not how it says. I'm sorry. Who is now with the Arizona Cardinals confirmed the settlement. He said he received a call on Monday morning from Portis's lawyer, David Donovan, classic lawyer name, and that the matter was settled ambiably, amicably, and expeditiously. These are big words, ESPN. Holy cripes. The settlement did not include a confidentiality clause. 
It took just a matter of hours, and most of our time was spent trying to reach our clients, Stern said. I think both players are glad to put this behind them. They can go on with their business now. I think they've got bigger things to move on to. Yeah, no shit. Athletes' attachments to certain jersey numbers is... you is. What are these words ESPN's using? Ubiquitous. Maybe I'm just a dumb idiot. That's probably the case. On all levels. Leading to spats when ordering uniforms for church league softball team or deep-pocketed deals between Mark A pros. Eli Manning, for example, had to pay former punter Jeff Fiegel's he had to pay for former punter Jeff Fiegel's family vacation to Florida to snag his preferred number 10 after the New York Giants drafted Manning with the number one overall pick in 2004. Fiegel's also got a new outdoor kitchen in his home from Plexico Burris when he gave Burris his number 17 after the wide receiver signed with New York. Jeff Fiegel's, now this is a smart man. This guy's getting vacations, he's getting new kitchens. Talk about a frugal little young man there. Jeff Frugal, more like. Ha <laughs> ha, stupid. When Portis signed with the Redskins last year, he immediately honed in on number 26, which he wore for the first two seasons with the Denver Broncos. However, the number already belonged to Olate, who didn't want to give it up. Protracted negotiations led to a contract signed by Portis, Olate, and witness Brad Berlin, the Redskins' equipment manager. How does that work? Do you just drive a contract out of thin air and do you write it on paper? I mean, I have a degree in business, but I don't, like, I'm not a lawyer. Can I, like, what What are they doing? They led to a contract signed by Portis and Olatte and was witnessed by the equipment guy. This is fascinating stuff. Let's get further into it. The document is being drawn on June 4th, 2004 to verify the agreement between Clinton Portis and Afane Olatte for the sale of Afane's jersey in exchange for monetary compensation, the contract said. It called for Portis to pay Olatte $40,000 in three installments, $20,000 immediately, $10,000 by week eight of the NFL season, and $10,000 by Christmas Day. Portis paid the $20,000 up front and got his covered number 26, and Olate switched to number 30. But then, Olate was cut by the Redskins during training camp in August and was claimed off waivers by Arizona. This is heating up, people. Portis apparently felt Olate's departure voided the rest of the contract, so he didn't pay the final two installments. I think he's crazy, the AP quoted Portis saying as telling Sirius NFL Radio after the suit was filed in late December. How could you request something when you got cut? But I would have had the number anyway. I think he's crazy, so I guess we'll be in court together. These guys went to court over this. I don't know, though. I don't know if I believe that. You signed a written agreement for a jersey number offering $40,000. I think that goes a little bit more beyond just wearing it. The guy gets cut the next season. He doesn't think he has to pay for that. I don't know. If I'm deriving contracts and getting witnesses to sign them, maybe you should probably pay it back. But like the story just said, I don't know if that was a mess of me reading that. I apologize if it was. Just a hilarious story. He got $18,000. So you know what? $38,000 for a jersey number. Basically that he had to give up for one year. Like I remember doing this back in like Bantam AAA like rock, paper, scissors. I used to wear number three all the time. My mother's a, a triplet. My mother's an identical triplet born on December 3rd. And I started wearing number three one time and I just thought, you know, three, my mom's a triplet. You know, it just kind of made sense. Kind of had some meaning behind it. And I wore that for years until I got to Bantam AAA. Then I had to do it, you know, it was the old rock, paper, scissors. It wasn't even a best two out of three. I didn't get $38,000 for it. Granted, I was playing hockey at the age of 14. So it wouldn't have made sense to... But 
That's how I lost number three. This year, I'm wearing it again. I'm kind of rekindling that passion for my childhood, if you will, with the number three. But I'm certainly not making $38,000 in my number decisions. That's fascinating. And I bet you if you looked into it, there's a lot more stories just like this. But this was the one that just kind of popped up for some reason when I was looking up number 49 in the Jersey history books. You know what I'm saying? But uh, yeah, so um, we're going to move on from that. Uh, Folks, things have been great. Things have been just groovy down here in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I don't know if anyone says it like that, but every time I say North Carolina, I just want to go North Carolina. It's a good place down here. People are very nice. Um, I've touched on it multiple times that this is the home of Fort Bragg. But I uh, did a little further research here. Um, this place is off, is not a joke. It's the home of the Airborne Forces, and it has been for more than half a century. Fort Bragg has had a proud heritage as the home of the nation's finest fighting forces. It was originally activated in June 1942 at Camp Polk, Louisiana, but then they made their way here, I'm assuming. and What the fuck am I reading? But uh, there's, there is 545,000 active-duty soldiers not stationed here, but I believe that they are. That this is their, their base. I don't know if they're away on missions or what they're doing, but that's what it says. Five four five hundred forty-five thousand, five hundred forty-five thousand, thirteen thousand reserve, fourteen thousand civilian employees, six thousand contractors, seventy thousand active duty family members, and there was a hundred and twenty-one thousand army retirees and family members in the Fayetteville area. And uh, the city is only 350,000 people. So that's a heavy military presence. It's a very unique spot. A lot of different people here. It's, uh, it's like the people here, seem they've been fucking awesome so far. But the reason I bring up Fort Bragg again is just how actually close it is to like my complex here, my apartment complex. Uh, the exit for the base is just up the road. Like it's, it's not far at all. Um, I mentioned to you before how you can hear that, you know, you can hear the trumpets five o'clock you hear that i fucking love that trumpet i think would get me fired up that was like my school bell the trumpet always been fascinated with that the military trumpet for like the certain times of the day wow that's cool but um we didn't realize like how like crazy it is like you can just be sitting there outside and you'll just hear like gunfire you can hear it in the middle of the night and you can hear it in the middle of the day And it was like a week or I think, no, it was just about a week after we moved into this house, our uh, apartment, I should say. And um, we're in our complex here. We're on the second level. It's a three-story building. And um, so there's people above you, people below you. And, you know, quite typically, if someone above you has heavy feet and they're they're stomping around up there, they're walking around, or maybe someone has a kid, has, um, has a family and has multiple kids playing on the ground, like, you know, you can hear some serious footsteps up there. And, um, you know, it's usually nothing to cause alarm or anything like that. Or maybe you've had a neighbor come up and tell you to stop fucking jumping around with the heavy feet. But, you know, that's pretty, pretty standard practice. But um, it was about a week after we moved in here. So it was about probably two, three weeks ago. And we just noticed that like late at night, right above us is just like this amazing, like, it's just like it was on like a queue for like a week, like a couple days straight, like. At 11 o'clock at night, it was like the people above us were just going bananas, like running around their house, sounded like they were legitimately wrestling. I was worried that there was some sort of a domestic dispute up there. Like it was honestly terrifying. It sounded exactly just like people literally getting in a fist fight and beating the absolute piss out of one another. And it was right above my head. So 
it's a little hard not to have ill feelings about what the fuck's happening above you when that's all you can hear multiple nights in a row. I'm usually pretty chill with scenarios. My rumor, my roommate, my rumor, my roommate, Mr. Kata Struthers, we'll call him. That's not what we'll call him. That's his God-given name. That is what he was called. Um, he wasn't taking kindly to it after about the first or second night. And uh, it was it, one night we're sitting there, we're listening to it, and we're going to bed. And I'm like, man, like if this if this goes on again, like it might have to get addressed. And he's like, if this happens again tomorrow night, this is what my roommate says. He's like, I'm going up there. I'm going up there. So anyways, we go to bed the next day. Sure as shit, like clockwork. We're hearing this absolute banging going on again. And we're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, like it's, it's, it's making me laugh. Like, I, I, you know, when you like, are, like you're expecting something bad to happen and then it does like there's nothing bad was happening, but it was fucking people above us making noise to our thought. And we're starting losing our mind. My roommate's literally going nuts. He's he's getting pissed off. So I'm starting to get a little giddy with it. It's almost like it's almost worth it at this point because of the enjoyment I'm getting out of how miserable it's making my roommate. Starting to make me happy. So I'm almost like, please be louder. This is fucking awesome. Got to the point where I hear some pretty serious banging, and I'm already in my room, and I'm going out to go to the washroom quick, and I step out into my like, open my door. It's a three-bedroom apartment. You know, the one the one bedroom has the master. I didn't have enough games played in the league to acquire the master yet. So I'm in one of the other rooms. We share a bathroom. The two doors, you know, they point at each other. The bathroom door is in the middle. You know the deal. So I come out of my bedroom, and here is my roommate already out of his room. He's just standing in the middle of our living room. No lights on. Place is pitch black. It's about 1130 at night. And he's just standing there, arms crossed. I can see just like steam coming out of his ears. And he's just slowly shaking his head. Second I walk out, he's just like, this is fucking ridiculous. And then he goes, I'm going up there. And then I go, Carter, I'm going with ya. I'm fucking going with ya, kid. So what do we do? It's 1130 at night. We walk up there. I'm assuming, and I, I, I think it's a family. Besides the fucking WWE Smackdown that's going on at 11 o'clock at night. Um, I, I know it's a family. I, can, like, I get up at like 730 every day, you know, I go to the wash. You say you sneak out to go to the washroom like 6 a.m. or something before you go back to bed. And you can hear people moving around up there. It sounds like a lot of feed. I'm assuming multiple people live there. So, like, I know people are there. I know people are getting up early. And when we go up there at 1130, we're basically like, we know there's someone up there. We know there's someone up there. And that this, the violence that is this noise portraying through the floorboards to our house it must be stopped. So Carter's like, I'm going up there. And I'm like, I'm coming with you. I'm fucking coming with you, buddy. So we're going up there. And as we're going up the stairs, I'm like, I'm assuming it's a family, right? Like I said. So I'm like, what's it going to look like if like at 1130 at night, they hear banging on the door, they come look out the eye hole and they just see two big dudes standing in their eye hole. Because like I'm 6'2", Carter, my, my roommate there, he's like six foot five. He's huge. So I'm like, I don't know how I'd feel looking out the the eye hole at 1130 at night to a banging on the door and seeing just two random large men in my, in my view. I don't think it would make me too feel too pleasant. So I'm, I, I'm like, Carter, I'm going to hang back in the stairwell. Maybe because I was also being a, like a huge bitch. We don't know either or, but he bangs on the door with like the little metal latch thing. Wap, 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 wap. We wait for 10, 15 seconds. No answer. No answer. He goes back in again. Wap, 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 wap. Waits another 15, 20 seconds. Goes in again. I'm like, okay, Carter. I don't think they're going to answer. So anyways, we eventually go back down. And then the second we get in the house again, we hear the banging going on all over again. 
It's going on all, it's going on again. And we're like, what in the sweet Judith is going on? But then the next day we go up, Carter goes, my roommate goes straight to the front desk of the complex. He's like, listen, I'm in 207. Um, I don't know what's going on, but 307 above us is having a circus every single night at 11 o'clock. They're getting the pots and the pans going. They're getting the hot mops. They're throwing shit around. I'm sick of it. It's got to come to a fucking abrupt end. And the people are like, well, we'll deal with it. And my roommate Carter, I don't know if he's trying to be a little bit of a fucking hero here right now. He goes, do you want me to deal with it or do you want to deal with it? They're like, we'll deal with it. I'm like, okay, we're going we're gonna to do, we're gonna do that route. But then comes on, we're at the rink that day. We're sitting there. And then I hear all my other roommates bitching about all the noise at their houses too. And I'm like, I'm thinking, you guys have a bunch of noise at night as well? And they're like, yeah, man, like every night. And then I hear a guy pipe up and he's like, oh, that's just the mortars going off at the base when they do night training, shaking your whole house. You guys live so close to it that it's literally shaking your whole house. That's not people. That's that's just the boys shooting mortars off for training at Fort Bragg. And then I start laughing. I look over at Carter, who was upstairs last night, banging on a, on a unsuspecting family's door multiple times at 11.30 at night. At 11.30 at night. And I'm just thinking to myself, I know that they were in there. They were definitely inside. Like the next morning, you could hear them sure shit in the morning getting ready for work. So what was going on in their mind? Were they scared? Did we petrify this poor young family who was innocent? They were innocent. They never were proven guilty. Do they? Did they look out the eye hole? Maybe they saw Carter. And now every time Carter's walking to his truck, walking to one of our cars to go get a ride or whatever... What if they see him and they're scared? They're like, there's that mysterious man who bangs on our doors late at night. Hmm? Could be something to say there, eh? Guess we'll never know. But that actually made me a fucking howl. It was pretty funny. It is Wednesday, 6.35 p.m. as I am speaking this currently. I am 26 minutes into this episode, so started just after 6 o'clock. Not too bad. Not too bad. Um... Going to be a bit of a crazy weekend here. I got three games in three nights. Uh, we're going to Birmingham, Alabama. We're leaving tomorrow morning on the sleeper bus. Got my bunk all ready to go. Hopefully there. I'm going to sleep my way down to Birmingham, Alabama. My former, my former team. Playing my former team two times in a row. I have never in my hockey career played a team that I used to once play for. Never been traded or switched teams in a league and played for someone else. So it's going to be kind of weird. I'm imagining that people are going to rain food down upon me and there will be vicious, visceral booze every time I touch the puck. Just joking. I'm sure I didn't have enough of an impact anywhere to be portrayed in such a manner. But no, it's going to be cool to go back to uh, playing a town that I used to play in. Uh, loved playing in Birmingham. Loved their little barn there. It's a perfect little rink and I, you know, it's always packed. So it's going to be fun. Uh, three and threes are wild. Uh, they're pretty hilarious. We'd had one this past weekend. We played Knoxville. Knoxville, Tennessee. The ass bears. Played them three in a row. Played them once Friday night in Knoxville. Drove back through the night. Got home at like six in the morning. Played them Saturday night and then Sunday afternoon. And it was weird. Like, I honestly felt better in the third game. It's almost like I felt, I don't know. It was I don't know if it was the travel or it's just like, those trips are just hard because you just got to find out like what you got to eat and when you got to eat it and how much water you got to drink. So that's about all you have to worry about there. But it's obviously important to get a little bit of sleep at night too because, you know, three games and three nights. I know it's only our hockey games, but uh takes a little bit out of the kid, no? No? 
So yeah, we're going up to Birmingham tomorrow. Uh, it's going to be a blast. Uh, going to be have a good three and three here. Hopefully the team's buzzing. Boys got to get going here. You know, season's rolling here. We're seven games in. Boys are buzzing. You know, I don't like to talk about it on this show very much, but uh, it's been fun getting to play. Um, not much more needs to be said this show. Okay. I know um, maybe we didn't, do we accomplish anything in this show? Maybe we didn't. Okay. Maybe that's the point. All right. Relax. We're all having a good time. Okay. Um, again, I keep reiterating this. I'm like 50 bucks from finishing out my indigenous aid fund that I've created. I've derived on GoFundMe and we have to finish that before they siphon the funds and take them for themselves. Cause that's what they'll probably do. That's what I always love when, like when people are doing like, there's a fundraiser, there's a donation and they're like, Oh, here, let me, what, where, where do I give the money? Because I don't, I don't trust them. Go fund me sats. I don't trust them. They're siphoning money and they're giving it overseas to people who, who don't need nothing to do with them. I'm like, relax. It's probably, it's probably secure. That's why, that's why I always laugh. Cause I'm telling people to relax. I think they're stupid. I'm like, it's probably, it's probably secure. So relax. Okay. No, but I'd really like to get that finished up. Uh, we're just about at our thousand dollar goal. I know a thousand dollars doesn't mean much, but, uh, it'd be nice if we get a thousand dollars going to a good spot down there at true North aid going to benefit communities up north and indigenous communities that need some help, need some infrastructure, need whatever they, you know, community support, outreach, whatever they need, that $1,000 is going to go towards true north aid so that they can help make that happen, okay? Folks, um, if you're interested in in making a slight donation to help me cap that off, uh, message me on the Instagram, on the Facebook, get a hold of me if you know who I am personally. Um, I know it's hard to know who I am personally because I do go by the alias of Hopsy and that usually masks my identity perfectly. Not many people truly know who I am, who this man is behind the microphone. But this show, folks, it's going, it's going strong. We're going to be at episode number 50 next week if you can believe it. I certainly can. It's it's come so far and it's touched so many people this show and it's so it's so humbling to see how far I've come. To see how much has been made from this show, okay? So for that, I thank you, the listener. We'll be talking to you very very soon on AM 1060 Ched News Radio with your host with the most, Hopsy Baby.